Amen. Thank you, Brother Chris. We'll be continuing in the book of John, chapter 6, and we're going to read a lot about that blood of Jesus today. Book of John, chapter 6, starting at verse 41. I'm going to ask Brother Tyler to read that for us, if you would. Uh, John, chapter 6, 41 through 59. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats the bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us the flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of man, uh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at the party. Thank you, Brother Tyler. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, these are, these are hard words uh, to understand uh, for the natural man. And woman, to eat your flesh, Lord Jesus, and drink your blood. What, what does this mean? And your word tells us here clearly that uh, no one can come to you unless you draw them. The Father draws them to you, Jesus. And for those of us that have been drawn to you, these words are precious in their life, but there are some in this room today that uh, these words don't make any sense, Lord. They, they seem foolish. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts now, that you'd give us understanding, that uh, you would draw men and women in this room, Lord, to yourself even now as they hear these words, and that they would come, Lord, and they would believe. That's the purpose of this book, is that we would believe in the Lord Jesus and have eternal life in his name. And so I ask that your Holy Spirit do a great work in our hearts right now. Help us to understand these words. Help us to see them as a precious treasure in our hearts and in our lives. And may they forever change our hearts and our souls and the way we see this world that you've created. And so we thank you, Jesus, and commit this time into your hands in your name. Amen. So we pick up here in John chapter 6, and we saw in the prior weeks this scene of Jesus feeding the multitude, didn't we? Some great miracle bread Jesus created. 
out there. There's the multitude. They're in the wilderness. It's a, it's a, he's on a mountain. It's a very similar scene to what we saw of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and crying out for bread and their hunger. And the Lord gives them the manna from heaven. And here, you know, in the prior verses in John chapter 6, we saw Jesus on the mountain. The Passover feast is at hand. There are lots of similar elements here. The multitude is hungry. Jesus knows what he's going to do, but he asks his disciples, hey, how do we buy bread? And he says bread, right? So there's a common theme through all of this. It's about, it's about bread, but it's not about physical bread. He's going to teach them a very valuable lesson about spiritual bread, about him being the living bread. Just as we learned the lesson from the Samaritan woman at the well, that Jesus is the living water. He has living water for our thirsty souls. He's also the bread that came down of heaven. He is the bread of life. He is the living bread that can satisfy our hungry souls. And he is the only thing that can satisfy our hungry souls. And he's going to teach that again and again and again, because we need to keep hearing it again and again and again. So many similarities between this scene and the scene of the Israelites in the wilderness. And just as the manna was given in the wilderness, wandering of the Israelites out of nothing, so the multitude is impressed with Jesus feeding the multitude out of just five loaves, two fish. He feeds probably 20, 30,000 people. And they're leftovers. That's a little bit different than the the manna uh, in the wilderness, because there were no leftovers there. They had enough for one day, and that was it. God gave them their daily bread. But in this case, there were 12 baskets of leftovers, more than enough to feed everyone. And so the multitude is so impressed by this that they're about to come and take Jesus by force to make him their king. Saw that earlier in chapter 6. But Jesus didn't want to have any part of that. That wasn't his plan. What's wrong, Jesus? You know, this is your opportune time. This is it. Go for it. No, that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to be their earthly king in the way they thought. He came to die instead so that we can have life in his name. So he doesn't seize that opportune moment. He actually goes away into a lonely place by the mount, to a mountain by himself. He and his disciples, they leave the area completely. They go to Capernaum. The multitude follows him looking for more of that great miracle bread that only comes from Jesus. And today, the verses we'll explore in 41 through 59, they're Jesus's words to the Jews in the Capernaum synagogue. We read that note just at the very end. These things he said in the synagogue at Capernaum to the Jews. And when we hear the word the Jews is usually in a negative connotation, and it typically means the leaders of the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes. Uh, but he was in the synagogue there, and it's almost always used in a negative way. And so he's speaking to the Jews in the Capernaum synagogue. Now, this scene is like the experience of the Samaritan woman at the well from chapter four, if you remember that. In that case, the woman was thirsty and looking for water. And Jesus says, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's offering it to you, you would have asked and I would have given you living water for your soul. Now, you saw her response. You remember that? She said, sir, give me this water. She didn't first understand that he meant 
living water and her soul salvation through faith in him, but she did understand it. And she not only understood it for herself, but she went and told her whole village and that village was saved. The Samaritan, the outcast, the enemy of the Jews, the scourge of the earth. Jesus went to them, preached the gospel, and they believed and were saved. And here we are at the synagogue in Capernaum with the Jews, God's chosen people, to be a light to the nations. To show the nations the way to God. And unfortunately, they're not going to have the same reaction as the woman at the well, sadly. It's a heartbreaking response that they have. They don't understand at first, but in contrast, this crowd doesn't see Jesus as the Messiah and the Christ, and they reject his offer of eternal life as they do over and over again. And so as we study this text together, I want you to think about where your heart is concerning Jesus. And as we read through this, I want you to think about who am I like? Am I more like that woman at the well who simply believes and trusts and has life through faith in Jesus? Or am I like these Jews in the synagogue? And I know there are some of you in this room like the Jews in the synagogue. Every time I preach the gospel, I know there's someone in the room that's grumbling and doesn't believe. And I don't take that for granted. And so as we read these words today, as we study this book, I am praying and I have been praying that God would draw you to Jesus today. And that today would be your day of salvation through faith in him. And I pray that you are thirsty for the living water and hungry for the living bread of Jesus. His living water and his living bread are the only true satisfaction for your hungry and thirsty soul today. And they lead to eternal life and joy and peace. This isn't just another Bible story, brothers and sisters. These are the very words of life. And the main purpose of the book of John, we see at the very end of the book, is that you believe and have eternal life through faith in Jesus. And if we back up one verse to verse 40 here, before we start, Jesus said, this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Those are precious, precious words. And then we see verse 41. Look at verse 41. So, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Is he a nut job or what? We know where he came from. We know his father and his mother. This is Jesus, right? You know, they're probably looking around like, that's Jesus, right? We know him. Didn't he like, he was a carpenter, right? His parents are from Nazareth. And what does he mean he came down from heaven? And so as I prepared this sermon, I'm like, you got to love a sermon text that opens up like the Jews grumbled about him. <laughs> and those are the first, first words right out of the gate. The Jews grumbled about him. And there are parallels here between Jesus' Jewish opponent, opponents 
and the wilderness Israel. You can look back in Exodus chapter 16, Numbers chapter 11, and you'll see just as the Israelites grumbled about the first giver of bread, Moses, so now they grumble about the second, Jesus. And just as in the wilderness, the Jews grumbled ultimately direct, their grumbling ultimately is directed against God himself. So it may look like, oh, they're grumbling against Moses or they're grumbling against Jesus. But no, they're, they're grumbling against God, the father himself. They're just grumbling. And it's significant to, to note that the same word that's used here is the same word that's used in the Greek Septuagint Old Testament for grumbling. So you know, the ones hearing this word, the ones reading this word would connect those words to the Greek Old Testament they would have been reading. And they would, in, in their minds, the picture would come. Oh, just like the Israelites in the wilderness grumbled. And he's using the same word on purpose, very carefully. And, and the use of this term, the opening here is, it's a, it's a window into the depravity of our own hearts when we grumble against God. It's a sin in which few, if any, are preserved from. We all do it. Every one of us in this room grumbles against God or has grumbled against God at some point in our lives. And when we do that, it's, it's simply a lack of faith. Whether it's a financial difficulty that we're experiencing or a relationship difficulty that we may be experiencing. Or, or maybe some of us in this room have, have at one point in our lives lost everything. I spoke with a man yesterday who was in a motorcycle accident. He was a quadriplegic for a year. He lost basically everything from that accident. But he said it's the greatest gift God could ever give him. He was grumbling at first, but now he sees it as a precious gift. Because God taught him faith and character and perseverance through the struggle and the trial. And now he's on the other side of it. You can see that was a gift to me. But boy, when you're in it that year laying there and you can't do anything for yourself, he, he was in the depths of despair and depression. And so we, we grumble against God, just as these Jews grumble against Jesus. They didn't like Jesus saying, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. They were pretty offended by that. And Jesus is offensive. When you're sharing the gospel with other people and you're telling them that they are sinners and they need a savior, and that the only way that they can have eternal life is not by being a good person, because you're not a good person. The only way you can have eternal life is through trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some are very offended by that. In fact, most are very offended by that. That's okay. And we'll see later on in this text why that's okay and how God overcomes that. But these are offensive words from Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they're thinking, how could he have come down from heaven? They're thinking about all this all literally. Like, we know Jesus. We know his parents. We know his brothers and sisters. He didn't come down from heaven. Come on, Jesus. Who do you think you are? But they actually understand what he is claiming. 
because he's making himself out to be God. He's making himself out to be Messiah. They understand the words that he's saying and what he's claiming. And so they grumble about him because of it. They stumble over him as the stumbling stone. They can't take these words in. They're offensive. They despise and reject the Savior because they don't feel their deep need for him. They have no appetite for true bread. They're like the prodigal son, content to feed on the husks of the food of this world that the world has to offer that are only fit for the swine. And some of you in this room hearing my voice, you may feel that way also. Striving after the pleasures and comforts of this world with no true hunger for the bread of life. All this Jesus stuff is just fooey. I go to church because I like to hang out with the people there. It all feels nice. It's kind of the thing to do here in our culture in the South. And so I'll go along with that. Grumbling about this Jesus who requires your surrender and trust in him alone for eternal life. And so they grumble about him. Look at verse 43. Jesus has an answer for their grumbling. And man, Jesus, this, this is amazing. Okay, so Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's a there's similar language here with John chapter 10 when he says, my sheep hear my voice and they come and they follow me. If you look over at John chapter 10, maybe after the sermon today, go look at that. You'll see parallels there between John chapter 6, John chapter 10. It says, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, these words of Jesus, I don't think are necessarily meant to repel them. I think they're more meant to humble them. I don't think Jesus is closing the door on them in their face, but rather he's showing them the only way that the door can be opened and entered. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I believe he's giving them hope because they're grumbling. They're closed. They have no desire to receive his message. And I think he's trying to help them see that the door is open for them if the father draws them. There is hope for them to be saved. And he's pointing out the direction in which the hope lies. Yes, they're rejecting him right now. And he knows their hearts. But there's hope that the Father will draw them and they will come to Jesus. Think about it. Even Jesus' own family rejected him at first. You read through the book of John, you can see it. His brothers and sisters thought he was insane. They really thought he was insane. And they went to go get him and bring him you know, to another place. And they, they didn't believe him at first. Even his own brothers and sisters didn't believe him. They rejected him, just like these grumbling Jews reject him. Yet later on in their lives, they believed in him and became his disciples later on. God drew them to Jesus. There was hope for them. 
When those who reject Jesus turn from their sins to come to him, they will have eternal life and Jesus will raise them up on the last day. Some of us have seen this in our own lives. People that we and our families who we love and we pray for, you know, and for years and years and years, we pray for their salvation and they seem so hard hearted and just hopeless. And then one day they call you up and they're like, hey, I, I love Jesus. And you're like, what? <laughs> huh? How did that happen? Tell me about that. God drew them to Jesus. It's the only way you can explain it. God did that work in their hearts. God reached into that wretched, sinful heart broke down the walls of unbelief in there and showed them the truth. He gave, God gave them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to love Jesus. God drew them to Jesus and they came and believed. That's what happens. And it's beautiful. So in these words, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In these words, we see the depth of our human depravity. And I want us to, to feel that and understand that this morning. Because we live in a culture that psychologically tells us we're all pretty good. Yeah, we're all pretty good people. When I share the gospel with most people, I'll ask them, well, why should God let you into heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, and in, in the day of the judgment, my good will outweigh my bad, and I'm pretty good. The good's going to outweigh the bad. And these words tell us absolutely not. There is nothing you can do on your own to save yourself. Isaiah, the prophet, tells us that our greatest, best deeds of love and service are filthy rags in the sight of God compared to his holiness. He'll have none of that. The only way to salvation is for God to draw you. This is the doctrine of election. God has his elect. So we see the depth of our human depravity. These words explain the grumbling of the Jews. It's as if Jesus was saying this. By your grumbling, you make it obvious that you have not come to me. <laughs> You make it obvious that you're not even inclined to come to me. And with your present self-righteousness, you will never come to me. Before you come to me, you must be converted and become as little children. And before that can take place, God must change your heart and draw you to me. No person with an unchanged heart and mind will ever embrace God's salvation. No matter how charismatic and winsome you are at sharing the gospel, God is who saves them. You're not closing the sales deal when you share the gospel with someone else and have to be all worried about, oh, did I say the exact right words at the exact right time? Did I use the magic formula in sharing the gospel and go through the track, you know, just as the way they said? So the genie in the lamp will come out and, you know, do all that. No, that's, that's not how it works. Don't treat Christ that way. 
He doesn't need our help. He's the one that does the saving. He just does it through our <coughs> words as we share the gospel with others. He's the one that does the saving. So let's get over our fears in sharing the gospel, brothers and sisters. Get over yourselves. You know, some of you got friends, you're like, oh, I'm afraid to share the gospel because, you know, they're, they're not, they don't believe the same way I do. They don't see the world the same way I do. They, you know, they, they're going this direction. I'm going this direction. And of course, <laughs> yeah, that's the point. All they need to know is that Jesus died for their sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And if you'll trust in Jesus for salvation, you will have eternal life with him in his kingdom. That's all they need to know. And when they hear those words, it's like Jesus says in John 10, the sheep are out there. When they hear his voice, what do they do? They come. They come. And you might share that with one person and they'll be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Is that what y'all talk about down at your church? Yeah. And then you'll share it with someone else and they'll be like, that's what I've been waiting to hear my entire life. Where have you been? Why did it take so long for me to know that? And it's beautiful. To one person, it's trash. To another person, it's a precious treasure. God does that work. So let's get over our fear, brothers and sisters, of sharing the gospel in the workplace. Oh, we're scared to death. You know, what if I lose my job? What if this or what if that? That's a lack of faith. Hey, I'm preaching to myself, okay? I, I work. I got a job. I manage people. I go through this too. Man, should I tell them about the gospel right now? What if that, is that an HR violation? <laughs> you know, we worry about that, John. Forget that. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be the mouth of Jesus in this world. Tell them the words of eternal life. God is the one who does the saving. And if you lose your job, Jesus will get you another one. Is he not the one that provides? Yes, he is. Easy for me to say that right here, but out there, it's harder, isn't it? We gotta trust. We gotta walk with him. So no person with an unchanged heart and mind will ever embrace God's salvation. You know, water can't flow uphill. A natural man will, will act, con no act, nor you know, will that natural man act contrary to his corrupt nature. An evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. And equally impossible is it for a heart that loves darkness to also love light. And so be ready, brothers and sisters. The majority of people will reject Jesus. They'll reject him. Just like this multitude is rejecting him. He had probably 20 plus thousand people when this all started. By the time we're done with these words, he's down to 12. I mean, that's epic failure. Right? I went to the International Mission Board and I told him, well, I had, you know, 30,000 followers. Now I'm down to 12. He'd be like, well, your ministry's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do wrong, right? That's the natural response. But Jesus is not afraid of this. He gets even more direct. I'll get on in the text here. <laughs> he doesn't sugarcoat it. They're rejecting him, and he understands it. 
and people are going to reject Jesus. We are fallen creatures. We are depraved beings who love sin and we hate holiness. We are not good people by nature. The only reason anyone anywhere is saved is because God, by his supernatural power and influence, has drawn us to Jesus. And so know this, our only hope lies outside of ourselves. It's in God's divine help. It's in God's divine help. I was thinking of this analogy, you know, as I was reading this, you know, because I was thinking, here's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge your helplessness and cry out to God for help. Uh, and, and there's this analogy that kind of goes along with this. If I, if you broke your hip, if anyone here breaks your hip, you're going to be lying on the ground in agony and misery and pain. And in order to get up or like, get better, you know, you're going to die laying there if you don't cry out for help. Aren't you? Anyone in this room? Maybe, maybe some of you have broken a hip. You know what that feels like. Now you're on the ground. You're in pain. You have a choice to make. Am I going to lie here dying in misery or am I going to cry out for help? Well, of course, any rational person is going to cry out for help. We need help. And that's how we live. And so the same is true of your soul today. Your soul, apart from Jesus Christ, is dead and lost. It is fallen and is mortally injured. Cry out to God and he will draw you to Jesus and save you. The Holy Spirit of God will overcome your self-righteousness and convict your soul of your lost condition. You'll understand your need for salvation. Come to Jesus as an empty-handed beggar. And you'll hunger for the bread of life. And God will give you the living bread of Jesus. And he'll raise you up on that last day, just as he promises he will. Notice those words, I will raise him up on the last day. That's repeated four times in this one little section of text. And he's trying to help us understand that you know, our eternal security is in him. Our eternal security is in him. Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets, Jesus said, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And so Jesus is confirming here what he had just said, and he's appealing to the scriptures. As John, the author, writes this through the Holy Spirit, I believe he wants us to be taken back in our minds to the book of Isaiah, chapter 54 and 55, which Pastor Jared explained last week. This is a quote from Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 13. And he quotes Isaiah here. So that we'll know those drawn by God to Jesus are the ones who are taught of God. Isaiah 54, 13 says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. So those of us who are drawn to Jesus by God, we are God's children. We are his own. We are his elect. We are adopted into his family as his sons and daughters. 
And notice carefully how Jesus quotes Isaiah 54, 13. He simply said, and they will all be taught by God. So this helps us understand what he means by all here and in other passages. The all in this quote doesn't mean all of humanity. This isn't, uh, you know, universalism where, you know, everybody's going to be saved. You know, don't believe what Oprah says about that. She's still saying that because for one, a lot of times she was saying that. Oh, everyone's going to be saved because God is nice. That's not true. That, that's not the truth. And so when Jesus says all here, he doesn't mean all of humanity. He's talking about all that God draws. All means all of God's children, all his elect. Those drawn are they who have heard and have learned from the Father. God has given them ears to hear and eyes to see. This is similar to what we read in 1 Corinthians 1.23, where Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness or folly to the Gentiles, to the nations, to everyone else. Like, man, Paul, it, your message is foolishness to the Jews or a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to everyone else. But to those who are called or those who are drawn, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's true. That's how it is. What was once stupid and foolish becomes a treasure precious treasure of eternal life. And God does that work. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This reminds us of what he said back in chapter 6, verse 27, when he first told them, hey, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Eat of the living bread. Seek out the living bread. Feed on the living bread. Jesus said, I am the living bread. I am the bread of life. And here, this is more of a declaration than an invitation. Think of all the things he said. Whoever believes has eternal life. These are declarations. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna and they died. This is a core teaching to these Jews right now. Your fathers ate the manna and they are dead. They died. In fact, they didn't even see the promised land. They didn't go in. Why? Because of their lack of faith, right? I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus says. It's the first of the seven I am titles of Jesus found in the book of John. They're found elsewhere uh, throughout the book, and we'll see them as we continue on, but they're not found anywhere else in the Bible. This is the first, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door. 
He also said in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, I am the true vine. It's the sevenfold I am titles of Jesus. All of these statements look back to when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. He told Moses to go to Egypt and deliver his people. And when Moses asked, he said, who shall I say sent me? The Lord said to Moses, tell them I am sent you. What a strange name. <laughs> tell them I am sent you. These are powerful words Jesus is saying here. And he knows what he's saying. I am the bread of life. So he reminds them, you're seeking after this physical bread, but that's not what you need. Your fathers ate that bread and they died. You're seeking the wrong thing. You need the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You need to feast on me. You need to believe in me and come to me and you will have life. That bread you just ate back there, that you're going to die. That bread will not give you life, as good as it may have been. Those who eat the true bread of Jesus will not die. Those who come to Jesus and believe satisfy their hearts by feeding on him, and they will live forever with Jesus. That is how you eat the living bread. So now he's, he's turned this from the, the physical to the spiritual. Your fathers ate the bread and died. Believe in me. Feed on me. I'm the living bread. Eat of me and you will live. You will have eternal life. You will not die spiritually and eternally. You will not suffer the spiritual second death of those who reject Jesus. And we read about in the book of Revelation, they're thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with fire and sulfur forever. There is a hell. There is a lake of fire. Those who reject Jesus are going there. It's not meant for you. It's meant for Satan and his demons. But you cannot enter the presence of a holy God with your own good deeds. You must trust in the blood of Jesus. That's what he's telling them right now. Believe in me, come to me, and you will live. He emphasizes it over and over again. And so think about this. He's the bread of life. It's, he's the spiritual bread we need. And we must trust in him to eat of that bread. But just like with physical bread, you know, you, you can't gain any advantage from it if you don't eat that physical bread, right? Think about it. This is something you have to do. It's not enough to just look at that piece of bread. It's not enough to philosophize about that piece of bread or analyze it or talk about it and all its qualities. It's not enough to hold it and think fondly of it. You must eat that physical bread to nourish your body. And it's the same way with Jesus. Only you don't eat him physically. You trust in him as food for your soul. You must trust in him. 
when your soul is awakened to its lost condition, when you understand your deep, deep need, when you know that without Jesus, you'll die eternally, then whatever intellectual difficulties you may have had previously with Jesus, those will all vaporize and you'll gladly receive Christ as your own. And think about this too. Eating is a very personal act. It's something that no one else can do for you. So it is with believing in Jesus. No one can believe in Jesus Christ for you. You must do this yourself. Your pastor can't believe for you. Mommy can't believe for you. Daddy can't believe for you. Your husband can't believe for you. Your wife cannot believe for you. You must believe in your heart personally and eat of the bread of life. Now he drives the point even further. So they were offended that he said he came down from heaven. They're offended that he said he's the bread of life. Now at this point, you know, if we were coaching Jesus, we'd say, hey, back off a little bit, Jesus. You know, they're not getting, they're not, they're not liking this. They're stepping on some toes. This isn't seeker sensitive. Let's get back to the bread and the fish thing, Jesus. I mean, come on, we got to grow this thing. Now he drives it home even further. Look what he says next. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now he's really crossed the line. Now he's talking about his flesh. And he's declaring here that he will offer himself as a sacrifice. He is going to voluntarily lay down his life. He not only came down from heaven, humbled himself, he came to die. This didn't go along with anyone's agenda. They weren't having it. But right now, at this point, we are at the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It is the only, it's, the only, it's only in the slain Christ that poor sinners like us can find what meets our most dire need. He gave his flesh for the life of the world, not merely for the Jews, but for elect sinners of all the nations too. His perfect life was substituted for our forfeited life. Brothers and sisters, this should move our hearts to praise and bow and worship. And those who are drawn to Jesus, when you, when you deeply read this and you deeply understand this, you can't help but praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I can't do this myself. Thank you, Lord. Now, this one really, this one really got things going. Look at verse 52. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, Jesus knows. Now, now they're, they're not arguing with him. They're arguing amongst themselves. And he hears it all. And he's, he knows what's going on. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me, 
and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So he didn't backpedal at all. He drives it home even further. He's not holding anything back. He's laying it all out there. And clearly they had trouble with this statement. They're arguing amongst themselves over it. How could it be possible? You can imagine the scene. Are we supposed to eat the flesh of a living man? How crazy is that? What is he talking about? He's insane. He's asking us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Good grief. But Jesus isn't concerned whether or not they like what he has to say. Not at all. He lays the truth of the gospel right out there without softening it one bit. He doesn't illustrate it in other terms. He keeps reiterating it, actually. He's repeating it over and over. I want to make sure you got what I said. Just in case you wanted, because you thought it was kind of crazy. <laughs> I want to make sure you're getting this. And I'm coming through clear. No static here. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Wow. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now, if God the Father hasn't drawn you to, to Jesus, those things are crazy for you here. They just are. That just sounds crazy. Very hard to understand. Hard to even listen to. I mean, really hard, hard sayings. Jesus came from heaven to earth in order to die, that we would have life through faith in him. And as I was reading these words, I was thinking, you know, maybe possibly they look back to Genesis chapter three. There, mankind died spiritually by eating of the forbidden fruit. Remember that. Here, man lives spiritually by eating of the bread of life, the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's by eating that we died. It's by eating that we live. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I am him. What does that mean? How do we understand that? Are we to literally eat his flesh and drink his blood? No. No, you received Christ, you received Christ and salvation once and for all. You trust in him. You come to him. The father draws you. You come and you believe. And you are saved once and for all when you do that. And then we need to constantly feed on him. He uses that word here. Feeds on my flesh and, and drinks my blood. So this is a continual thing that we're, that we're doing. Through trusting in him. You feed on him constantly, daily, as the food of your soul. You do this through being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In your heart, as we read on, we see parallels here between the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we drink of the living water and eat of the living bread of Jesus. It's through faith in him. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's through not walking in our flesh carnally, but walking in the spirit of God, having his love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and walking with him. 
how we continually feed on Jesus in our lives. And it happens through prayer, through reading God's word regularly, frequently, meditating on it, and being continually hungry for more. And Jesus, the bread of life, satisfies our soul. It reminds me also of the book of Deuteronomy where it was written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the word of God. We are so much like the Israelites these words were written for. Physical food will only nourish our physical bodies that are eventually going to die. Every one of us in this room, 100% statistic, is going to die. It's going to happen. And the physical food will only nourish our physical bodies. You eat that physical bread, you will die. You eat the bread of Jesus. You trust in him. You come to him. You have eternal life with him. That's how you do it. You trust in him. We need spiritual food for our hungry and thirsty souls. We need Jesus, the bread of life. We need to receive him into our hearts. We need to trust Jesus as our savior and receive him. If you haven't done that today, do that today. Don't waste a single minute of your life without him. Feed upon him and live every day, moment by moment. Look to Jesus. Cry out to him and drink of his living water and feast on his living bread now and forevermore.